welcome to the most empowering show on the radio. Yes, the show that proves that you don't have to settle for your life the way it is, that you can do the things you love. Face your challenges head on and start down the path of living the life you always wanted. It's called Growing Bolder, and I'm Bill Schaefer with Mark Middleton, two award-winning journalists who challenge you by bringing in world-renowned experts, best-selling authors, and ordinary people who have found ways to live extraordinary lives. Man, that's this show. You know, I want people to know that, Mark. Well, radio, uh, Growing Bolder is not just a radio show, folks. It's a national TV show, a magazine, and a website all of which were designed to offer you hope, inspiration, and possibility. And in the next hour, we will talk to rock star Boz Skaggs about the powerful lesson that taught him there is more to life than just his music. We'll also talk to a woman who had the first 22 years of her memory totally wiped clean in a freak accident. And we'll meet the author of The Book of Odds to see what's likely to happen in your life. Amazing people, amazing stories. Yes, it's time for Growing Bolder. He's a professor of theoretical physics at the City University of New York, the co-founder of the String Field Theory, a man who's dedicated his life trying to complete Einstein's dream of unifying all the laws of physics <laughs> into one single equation. Oh my gosh, you think we can chat with this guy, Bill? Uh, he's also fascinated by the nature of our consciousness, uh, which is why he's written the new book, The Future of the Mind, The Scientific Quest to Understand, Enhance, and Empower the Mind. Really is an honor, folks, to get to share a few moments with one of the brightest scientific minds in the world today, Machio Kaku. Dr. Kaku, how are you? Glad to be on the show. Matt, we are thrilled to have you, and you are so busy, so engaged, so involved in so many thrilling aspects of science. What is it about the mind that you're so anxious to share with the rest of us? Well, you know, when I was a child, I was fascinated by the mind. I, tr I did experiments on mind reading or telepathy. I tried to move objects with the mind, that is telekinesis. I dreamed about one day uploading memories. I simply push a button and learn calculus and perhaps even photographing thoughts and photographing a dream. Well, eventually I realized that all that's hokum. However, I'm a physicist now. We can now, in the laboratory, duplicate all the things that fascinated me when I was reading science fiction. We can hook the brain to a computer, and the computer can then move a mechanical arm. We can actually upload simple memories into the brain. These were all considered science fiction, and now telepathy is center stage in neuroscience. It's incredible to think of what the implications of that can be. What can we do with all that information? Well, first of all, with people who are paralyzed because they had a stroke or a, a football injury, we can now hook their brain via a chip to a laptop so that they can control their wheelchair, household appliances, read email, write email, surf the web, anything you can do on a computer, they can also do. And also my colleague, Stephen Hawking, the cosmologist, he's totally paralyzed, but look at his right glass. In his right frame, there's a chip, a chip that is a radio that picks up his brain waves, deciphers it, and then allows him to type. And so we can now type using the power of the mind. And then, of course, everyone wants to be able to learn uh, college courses without having to pay the tuition. In the future, you might be able to push a button and upload information into the mind. This was once considered something right out of the movie The Matrix, but we can now do it with animals. In mice, just last year, just last year, the first thoughts were actually inserted into a mouse. And so one day, think of all the courses you flunked in college. You may be able to finish them by simply pushing the play button. It is literally mind-blowing, folks. He is Dr. Machio Kaku, uh, one of the greatest minds in the world today. Uh, Dr. Kaku, you talk about uploading information into the brain. You know, recent studies show that uh, boomers are now more afraid of dementia than even cancer. Will it be possible one day to download our memories and store those in case we do get dementia uh, and it can be cured that we could then re-upload our memories? Well, one of the reasons why scientists are trying to upload memories into mice and then eventually a primate and then a human is because precisely the problem with dementia. 
the hippocampus, which processes memories deep inside the brain, uh, becomes corrupted and fails in people with Alzheimer's. But think of it. We may be able to put memories back into the hippocampus. Uh, this is something right out of the movie Total Recall with Arnold Schwarzenegger, but that's one of the motivations behind this. And remember that last year, Barack Obama, the president of the United States, announced the Brain Project, that is, spending a billion dollars from Europe and the United States to create a map, a complete neural map of the human mind. And the end product of this would be, first of all, to understand mental illness. Mental illness is one of the greatest afflictions of the human race. Uh, the Bible mentions mental illness, and we don't know what it is. We'll be able to figure out what mental illness is and perhaps cure many of the most ancient diseases that have afflicted humanity. This is incredible. I mean, it almost sounds like science fiction, but here it, it, it's right in front of us now. You know, you've talked about facts and memories and things like that. What about consciousness? What is that? Do we have a handle on that yet? Well, there are 20,000 papers written about consciousness. Never have so many written so much to give us so little. <laughs> However, I have, a, I have my own theory of consciousness. Uh, I'm a physicist, and when we want to discuss something like a solar system, the first thing you do is you create a model, a model of how it moves in space. And then you take, you take one step higher and calculate how it interacts with other systems. And then, finally, you fast-forward the videotape and you predict the future behavior. That's what consciousness is. It's the continual process by which we create models of the world around us. Now, animals do not fast-forward the videotape and they cannot see the future. Animals have no conception of tomorrow. They only understand space and relationship with other monkeys or other cats or dogs. We, on the other hand, are different. We see tomorrow. We see the future. We daydream. We daydream about future events that have not yet taken place. Only humans apparently can do this, and that is what typifies human consciousness. So let's assume we do not destroy our race and that we do, in fact, have a future. Do you believe, Dr. Kaku, that there, there are extraterrestrial beings out there? And if we live long enough, will we begin to look like what we think they look like, uh, i.e. huge heads? Uh, well, uh, the brain apparently is about the maximum, uh, has a maximum amount of information you can store uh, using tissue. In other words, you would have to have a much different architecture of the human body to create a super person. In the book, I actually go to the, go to the physics of the brain, showing that it is perhaps the maximum amount you can store on your shoulders. However, it's not the most efficient. For example, super geniuses that have mathematical capabilities that outrank a supercomputer, these people sometimes have an injury to the left side of their brain, and suddenly they become a mathematical genius. Uh, however, after this talk, do not hit yourself on the left <laughs> side of the brain, hoping to become a super genius. It's a very rare event, but it does happen. And these people with photographic memory apparently have forgotten how to forget. We forget all the time. But in these people, the forgetting mechanism is somehow broken. And it's like a tape recorder that's out of control. It tape records everything, but it fails to erase it afterwards. Apparently, that's one of the secrets of people with photographic memory. That's, the things that you talk about, Doctor, are so fascinating. Can, can we put it into terms of, of, say, you know, Mark and I are both in our 50s or 60s moving forward. Will we be around to see some of these things? Will we be around to have our, our uh, lifetimes expanded maybe into our hundreds? You know, what are the odds of all these things happening quickly? Well, uh, in the area of genetics, which I actually write about in my previous book, Physics of the Future, we're actually understanding the genetics of the aging process. Some animals, for example, hardly age at all. Uh, alligators and crocodiles, believe it or not, almost never age. Their lifespan is so long that no one has ever measured the lifespan of a crocodile or an alligator. And so animals, some animals don't die, or they live so long that we have never measured their lifespan. So why not alter the genetics of the human body. Uh, chimpanzees, for example, we are 98.5% uh, genetically equivalent to a chimpanzee, and yet we live twice as long as a chimpanzee. Among a handful of genes are the genes that actually doubled our lifespan, and we're finding those genes now. 
And so I think it's a matter of time before we do have a handle on the aging process. We don't yet have the fountain of youth, but it's conceivable that one day we will. Doctor, are we all capable of telepathic communication? You know, we ha- we see and hear about individual instances. I was where- just going to ask that. You- <laughs> uh, is that something you see in the future? Yes. In fact, we can actually do it in the laboratory today. We can put a helmet on one individual. The helmet is connected to a computer, which then deciphers the signals in the brain and then sends it to another helmet, and the other person receives it. Now, this is still kind of clumsy, but you can type this way and type commands, type conversations. Eventually, we want to to uh, be able to export memories and emotions. This is called BrainNet. We don't have it yet. BrainNet will be the next stage in the evolution of the Internet when we send emotions and memories and feelings along, uh, along the Internet wires. And so, again, we can only do this on a very primitive level, but the very fact that we can do it at all is absolutely amazing. But we can actually photograph and actually record emotions and transmit them um, along a wire. And in the future, we'll be able to do the same thing with images. So when you see something or dream about something, you'll be able to send it. For example, the first dream was actually recorded about last year. It's actually possible to photograph, get a very rough picture of what you're dreaming about. And so in the future, you'll be able to push the play button and perhaps see the dream that you had last night. Man, that is so incredible. You paint an unbelievable picture, and I think the best thing that you do is that you light the flame of science in everybody in a way that I wish schools did as well. Science is one of the most compelling, gripping subjects there is, and having great minds out there like Dr. Michi Okaku, who has the ability to take it all in and help us understand it, what a gift you have. So, so check out his book, The Future of the Mind, and open yours up to what could be an incredible future. And for my us. website, by the way, is mkaku.org, M-K-A-K-U.org. And we've logged over a million and a half friends on my Facebook site. Well, I think you're going to get a few more today, Doctor. Thanks so much for the time and mostly the inspiration. Well, thank you. Up next, his dream was never to be a star, but he sure spent his life surrounded by them. Why now, Key Howard hopes to become the next Paul Harvey. This is Growing Boulder. Support for Growing Boulder provided by... Advent Health, introducing the Feel Whole Challenge, a 21-day program offering big improvements through small steps. Taking a walk, making a smoothie, changes that encourage whole person health. More information at feelwholechallenge.com. And by... The Legacy Life Project from Macbeth Studio, preserving family history, stories, and memories for generations to come by creating personal video biographies of your loved ones. Everyone has a story worth preserving. LegacyLifeProject.com. I'm Mark Middleton, along with Bill Schaefer, and this is Growing Boulder. And, of course, one of the most common dreams that many of us have is to be in showbiz, you know, the bright lights, the yes, big crowds, yes. the lavish lifestyle. Mm. Well, that uh, draws many to risk it all to give showbiz a try. There's a guy named Key Howard, who really is the exception. He did have a wonderful career. He did work with the biggest names around. But oddly enough, Bill, that was never his dream. And isn't that interesting? Instead of dreaming of being a star, Key's goal was to find as many opportunities as he could to use his talents in the business to express himself, to step up to challenges, to have a career. And not only did he find success and have many unforgettable experiences, he is not done yet. At the age of 85, Key Howard is still looking for his next big challenge. Instead of thinking, isn't getting old awful, Key's attitude is, ain't life grand? Key Howard doesn't think much of ego. He was never obsessed with being a star, even though he very easily could have been. But Key lived by a different standard, made clear in a song written over 60 years ago for the great Dean Martin. I'd rather be a dreamer with a penny than a rich man with a worried mind. Here am I. 
with life untold. The sunshine is my silver, the moonlight my gold. Key was quite a crooner himself, an excellent pianist, and yes, a dreamer. And his dream was a career in showbiz. That led me to auditioning for some early television shows. I may have told you, I started in 1954, 55 with the Dinah Shore Show. See the USA. In your Chevrolet, America is asking you to call. Wow, you remember Donna. Then from there, we went to, uh, I did a stint with Eddie Fisher, and then I, I did a lot of specials in those days. Nat Cole uh, had a couple of specials. I joined Nat for a year sometime later with uh, a group of singers. Another opportunity came on a show starring Ernie Kovacs. Ernie had three shows over a five or six year period. The show I was on was called Kovacs Unlimited. It was probably the shortest of the shows that he did. But uh, he was uh, a true comedic genius. Howard got to be part of one of Kovacs' most iconic sketches, the Nairobi Trio. And again, Key's ego, like Key, was nowhere in sight. Yeah, that's easy to say when you got a mask on. You know, it could have been you. Was it you? Yeah, it's like, prove it was you, right? How can we tell? And, which, and do you remember your role? Was it this? No. Oh, yeah, I was the guy with the... I was the guy, yeah, right. The baton, uh, right? Kovacs would not be the last comic genius Howard worked with. That honor would belong to somebody else. And now, here he is, Mr. Womp himself, Don Rickles! And that became a lifetime career. I was with him for many years. I traveled the United States with him. I traveled uh, to Europe with him, to Yugoslavia, to make a movie called Kelly's Heroes. <laughs> what a laugh that was. He's got this great theme song. Where did that come from? I wrote it. I'm a nice guy, in spite of what you heard. I'm a nice guy, you bet your little bird. Yep, I wrote that. And still get royalties, thank you, every time that he does it on television. I'm a nice guy, so put your mind at ease. A polite guy, lady, how about your knees? I'm a nice guy. I'm a nice you can bet your little bird. And Key learned quite a bit from their time together. He met and got to know some of the biggest celebrities in the world. He began to realize there was a difference between happiness and success. He started to get restless, to feel like he'd learned something he wanted to share. He became obsessed by wanting to make a difference. I'm Key Howard, an award-winning actor, ghostwriter for the late Bob Hope, and for many years, musical conductor for Don Riggles. He began collecting his thoughts, writing and recording segments he calls Ain't Life Grand? What do you want out of life? If it's easy, if it's material. You want a new Rolex? You want a new Caddy? You want a... It's easy if it's material. You can make a down payment. But if you want peace of mind, and if you want peace security because of that, and if you want a happiness and a joy. You can't get it at the expense of others. You have to, it starts on the inside and works its way out. Is life grand? With me? Life is terrific. Oh, yeah. As a matter of fact, I leave in August, and me buying a trip in August to cruise, that's like buying green bananas at my age. <laughs> at the age of 85, Key Howard is still looking forward. He has a whole new purpose, not just giving advice, but also living it. Life is pretty much what you make it, Bill. And if you get nothing else from this interview, you know, just get up, get off the couch, go out and get it, because nobody's going to bring it for you. As they say, don't expect your ship to come in if you haven't sent one out. So if you're sitting there and you feel, gee, the world has passed me by, get a hobby, uh, anything. But get up and do it. Somebody once wrote, don't worry about the station house. You'll get there soon enough. Just enjoy the journey. And I'm enjoying the journey. I'd rather be a dreamer with a penny than a rich man with a worried mind. 
what a story and what a set of pipes on that guy. Key Howard's been to some amazing places, and the best part is he's looking forward to more in the future. Yeah, we love that about Key. In fact, to us, in many ways, he is the new Paul Harvey. You know, he's always ready to drop a quip. Share an experience, a bit of his wit, uh, always with a twist. You know, this is a guy who is always searching for some of the simple yet profound things that many of us tend to miss in our daily lives. And so we're proud to present to you yet another reason to believe that ain't life grand. I talk a lot about thinking young. I'm talking about enthusiasm, keeping active, having plans and projects for tomorrow, meeting people, doing things. I personally look to the future because, well, that's where I'm going to be spending the rest of my life. A lot of people are too quick to think that their life is over. If you really think your life is over and you have no place to go, I advise you to take very short steps. Take you longer to get there. The late, great General Douglas MacArthur said, in the central place of every heart there's a recording chamber. And so long as it receives messages of beauty, hope, cheer, and courage, so long as you are young. When the wires are all down and your heart's covered with these snows of pessimism and ice of cynicism, then, and only then, are you really growing old. But my favorite story today is regarding Supreme Court Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes, who didn't retire until he was 91 years young. During his final years on the bench, he was walking down Pennsylvania Avenue with a friend when a pretty girl walked by. Holmes stopped short he watched her approached, turned and watched as she glided away, turned to his friend and said, what I wouldn't give to be 75 again. <laughs> Until next time, this is Key Howard. Ain't life grand? Up next, what are the odds that you'll live to 100 well, we're going to talk to the author of The Book of Odds for the answer to that and a whole lot more because this is Growing Bolder. Support for Growing Bolder provided by The Center for Health and Well-Being, now open in Winter Park. Wholeness, fitness, and medicine together in one convenient location, offering programs and services to promote healthy living and positive aging. More at yourhealthandwellbeing.org. Sign up for the Growing Boulder Insider Newsletter, delivered to your inbox every week. Be the first to see our latest interviews, stories, and tips for making each day count. Sign up today at growingbolder.com. Hey, you're listening to Growing Bolder. I'm Bill Schaefer with Mark Middleton, and our next guest is part King Midas and part alchemist, because everything this guy touches seems to turn to gold. He helped lead two management firms, Mark. One brought in over $3 million a year, but that's not why he's on with us today. He's on because of the incredible story of his current venture, one in which all of the odds were stacked against him. Uh, Keyword there being odds, folks, because the odds of his success were, were actually pretty slim. How slim, you ask? Well, he could tell you better than anybody alive. In fact, he could tell you the odds of just about anything, anything you want to know, because he is the founder and president of Book of Odds, which can be best described as a dictionary of the probabilities of everyday life, statistics on the everyday, the odd, and even the outrageous. In fact, the full name of his new book is The Book of Odds, From Lightning Strikes to Love at First Sight, The Odds of Everyday Life. And here's the man who compiled it all and is here to share it with us, Mr. Amram Shapiro. Hey, Amram, how are you? I'm doing great, and I'm glad to be with you and your listeners. Man, we're, we're thrilled to talk to you about this. Where in the world did you get the idea to compile a book of odds on everyday occurrences? Well, you know, it'll sound funny to you, and I don't think I've even told this story exactly this way before, but, you know, I, I just kept hearing about, you know, that there were so many people who had this terrible thing and so many people who had that terrible thing, and and one day I got to be thinking that, Either everybody has something terrible, or there are some poor people out there who just have everything. Huh. 
And it just got me thinking about, you know, really what are the odds and and, and what what are the numbers because they're all out there and, and so um uh, I began to began to imagine what if I knew everything you could know about uh, about the likelihoods of things that happen to people. And Amram, I can't even imagine the amount of work and research you put into these things because it's not like you'll find them anywhere else. And you launched. Well, you got that right. How did you do that? Where did you well, go? Well, you know what? Uh, I mean, it, 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 you know, it just putting together our first big database of three hundred thousand odds was um, uh, took fifty man years and. I uh, I used the fact that I was in a college town and I hired a lot of a lot of great people and we did uh, um, we just worked together and and got a got an amazing uh, amazing uh, amount of information. You know, one of the fascinating things in this book is not only do you say the odds on this and the odds on that, you, now you can compare the odds. For instance, you say that uh, I'm more likely to drown than I am to find my soulmate on a blind date. That's right. <laughs> Are, are you more likely to drown on the blind date? Has he seen me swim is the question. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So there's so well, many. Well, if you're both blind and swimming, you I don't know. <laughs> so so Marx Marx asked a really good question there. So how did you I mean it's one thing to say what are the odds of drowning or what are the odds of finding success on a blind date, but where did you come up with combining those things and Well, com- you know, you're you've really hit the nail on the head. Um the thing that never existed in the world was um a way of comparing um, the the odds that come from you know different silos of information. There's so much information, so much data out there in the world, but it's not comparable because doctors talk one way, the people who do surveys talk another way, and and you know sports folks talk another way. And you know what our job was to create the rules for making everything uh, comparable so that we could relate them. And then really it was once once you had uh, all of the odds together, then you could look at the numbers and say, wait a minute, are you telling me these two things are have the same odds? And you'd find things that would surprise you and make you laugh, give you ideas for jokes, and other times make you just make you cry because – you would say that's just you know too too awful to be true. Do you have any favorite odds? Uh, you know things that surprised you or made you laugh or astounded you yeah. the most. <laughs> well, my favorite, my favorite, because it's one of my weaknesses, is the odds that an American will eat pizza for bre- cold pizza for breakfast are <laughs> one in two point five six. Oh, that's not good. Have you ever done that? Have <laughs> <laughs> I? You know what? Uh, you know what? If somebody eats, leaves eats only one slice and leaves the rest. Uh, it'll be gone at breakfast. You know, some, yeah, something. I love it. I some, love cold pizza for breakfast. I don't know why. Something else besides cold pizza that the book offers is perspective evidence that either we're worse off than we thought, or maybe even better. But you know what it does? It does remove the one thing that all of us are terrible at dealing with, and that's uncertainty. Right. You said you you, you put your finger on it, and, and and if you ask if you ask what our sort of serious mission is, it is to. Um, make people less frightened of uncertainty because uncertainty sort of kills the mind, makes people afraid, makes people um, stop thinking. And yet the world, you know, the world before everything happens, you know, which is really where we stand at every moment, um, is, uh, is, is just a whole mass of uncertainties in front of us and a whole mass of data behind us. And there we are trying to decide what to do. Folks, we're speaking with Amram Shapiro, who's written a fascinating book uh, called The Book of Odds, where he's come up with the odds, uh, mathematically, statistically, research-driven odds on, on you know, ordinary things happening to, to ordinary people, sometimes extraordinary things happening to ordinary people. Amram, uh, our, our country, I don't know if I want to say has a gambling problem, but, uh, you know, we hear about odds and we automatically think of odds makers and, and, and Las Vegas and, and sports books and all that kind of stuff. Are, are you kind of like the odds makers for non-wagering events? <laughs> That's a really wonderful way of putting it. You're right. Uh, I mean, I mean, yes, in the sense that, in the sense that, you know, everybody trying to, you know, everybody who's trying to fill out their brackets for March Madness is yeah. trying to figure out how to do it right, and everybody trying to decide how to, you know, you know whether to to take this medicine or go to this doctor or, or continue with their sport or 
or you know, uh, uh, you know, and what are their risks of being injured and so on. Those, you know, those people are trying to get information, just like the like the uh, the gambler is. Well, Amram, I'm kind of curious how far you want to take this because it's not just this incredible book of odds that's available everywhere, and it's not just the website, which is just doing great, great hits all the time. It's the book of odds project. Where are you going with this? Well, you know, the next thing we're doing um, is um, uh, the next thing we're doing actually is going to be uh, aimed at doctors, and um, I, I think doctors are always trying to convey odds to their patients. And um, but they they don't do it terribly well, according to the research. And um, and I think, you know, most of us have a hard time hearing them. And and uh, and it's a lot easier if you can say to somebody, OK, you know what, uh, you've got this particular problem and it's about as likely as uh, the next uh, batter in, an, in, in, a, in a game of uh, Major League Baseball hitting a triple. Um, if you can do that, you know, all of a sudden people can, can calm down and hear it. And the doctor can calm down and explain it. And, uh, you know, because I, I think there are problems on both sides of that uh, communication gap. Amram, you are an amazing guy because you literally have gone where no man has gone before. A great example of somebody who had a passion, who had an idea. There was no path for this. There was no previous person to follow. But he followed his heart. He followed his mind. And he created this entire entity that people are flocking to from all over. And all of this information can be right at your fingertips in the Book of Odds, available everywhere, or at bookofodds.com or on Facebook and Twitter. Our thanks to the fascinating... And uh, always interesting, Amram Shapiro. A freak accident stole every memory from her mind forever, leaving a woman to start from scratch. It's an incredible story of surviving and thriving. Next on Growing Boulder. Support for Growing Boulder provided by... Winter Park's new Crosby Wellness Center at the Center for Health and Well-Being. More than just a gym, it features unique medically integrated programs, activities for all ages and skill levels, and free group exercise classes with memberships. More at CrosbyWellnessCenter.org. Stay connected to Growing Boulder for daily doses of hope, inspiration, and possibility. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for our latest stories and motivational pictures. My guard stood hard when abstract threats to noble, to neglect. Mark Middleton and Bill Schaefer here. This is Growing Bolder. Time now for our surviving and thriving interview. You know, with the right kind of care and support and the right attitude, it is possible to not only survive life's greatest challenges, but to actually thrive in the aftermath. And we're about to bring you one of the most devastating, shocking stories you have ever heard. While it is a story of profound loss, of incomprehensible challenge and heartbreaking struggle, we place it in the growing bolder category of surviving and thriving, all because of how our next guest faced up to putting the pieces of her shattered life back together. Great, great point, Mark. Now, you know, every year in this country, one and a half million people suffer a traumatic brain injury. Each one is tragic, but none of them are as unusual as this one. She's just written an incredible book called I Forgot to Remember, A Memoir of Amnesia. Let's say hi to Sue Mech. How are you, Sue? Doing well. Doing well. Thank you for that amazing introduction. Wow. You're you're an, an incredible person. I can't wait for everybody to get to meet you here on the show. So let me ask you to take us back to the incident, what, you were like 22 years old, when a freak accident, a freak accident literally <laughs> stole your life from you. Um, well, I was living with my husband and two sons in Fort Worth, Texas. Um, Patrick was my younger son. He was about nine or ten months old, and he crawled up to me. I was in the kitchen. And I picked him up and put him over my head, like, to just say hi to him, like you do face-to-face with baby. And his back or his feet hit the ceiling fan that was on the ceiling in our kitchen. It wasn't it wasn't running or anything. It was just there. Hit the fan and lifted it off a hook that it was hung on rather than being bolted to the to a beam. Um, and it came down and hit me on the front of my head and then... Apparently, I had the wherewithal enough to hand Patrick off to my husband, Jim, who was right there, and then 
my head hit the back of a counter and then hit the floor, and that's that's how it happened. And what was the result of that, Sue? I mean, when when you awoke, when you came to, when you stepped up, uh, life was not the same. Well, I don't remember any of that, of course. Um, all of this is has been retold to me in order for me to write a book. It's hard to write a memoir when you don't have any memories, but I was fortunate enough to have a lot of people that do remember me back then and did remember what I was like right after the accident, and I was totally different. I, I, it was almost as if I was childlike again. I was, you know, as same age as my own children at that time who were, you know, two and one, basically. So you, Sue, you could not remember your husband? You could not remember? Yeah. No, I didn't remember my husband, any of my family, my children, any friends. I didn't remember, you know, how to take a shower, how to drink from a cup, how to eat with a fork. Um, I mean, we're talking basic basic things that were gone then. And, and were the doctors just looking at you going, I don't know what happened? Well, I think at that point, um, you know, some amount of amnesia is is understood to be part of a traumatic brain injury. And I think they thought that it would all come back, you know, over the course of a couple of weeks or months. And the problem is it never did. And I think that... Um, was sort of one of those medical mysteries that nobody wanted to touch because they couldn't see anything on the MRI scans. Again, this was 1988, so the MRI scans certainly are much better now than they were then, but um, they couldn't see anything specifically as to why I was this way and didn't remember things. And I had a a very limited vocabulary, um, so I, I never lost the power of but I, I didn't know what things were called, and I, I called things by the wrong names for years afterwards. So it was, it's something that I'm still struggling with even today. So, <laughs> so it doesn't go away. So to make matters even worse, Sue, as we understand it, not only did you live basically everything, lose everything that was you know, in your database, uh, in, in your mind, all of your memories, you lost the ability to make new memories as well, which, which seems like it would make it impossible. Uh, it's certainly d- difficult to learn anything again. Well, yeah, I think that was for certainly at least a year, maybe a couple of years. Again, I have no memories of living in Texas and very few after we moved to Baltimore. It wasn't until we moved into um, Montgomery County, which is a suburb of Washington, D.C., that I kind of begin to have memories again. Um, so, yeah, it was a, it was several years before I could actually make memories, I guess, if that's what it is. Um, I think physically I was I was fine. Like I was a strong, healthy, young person. So I think that had a lot to do with just being able to get up and do what I did. I, I don't know if I recognized my own deficits for a long time. So I just, I got up and just did whatever I was told to do. Basically. Now to us, to us, Sue, you are not your accident. You are the result of what you did after your accident. And you decided that you were going to do something. In your 40s, you went back and you graduated from college. In spite of all this, you decided that you were going to be somebody. Well, I, I think as my children grew up and went off to college, I started to think like, wow, that's that's a pretty cool thing. And, you know, scared to death, I started with uh, Montgomery College in Maryland, um, which is a, a two-year community college that took me four years. Um, but, you know, that was sort of the beginning of wanting more and more and more. I, I, I found I was pretty good at this learning stuff. Um, once I got over the fear of it, um, that, <laughs> that took a little while, but and, yeah, and, then I came up here and got a, accepted to Smith and I'm about to graduate from Smith in May. And Sue, in the last 30 seconds, what, what do you hope that we learn from your story? What's the takeaway? Um, you know, the whole reason I wrote this book was to sort of give a heads up to anybody that's dealing with traumatic brain injury, whether as a survivor or a caregiver or a family member or friend. Um, There's not a lot of support out there, and although it's better than it used to be, I I would like to just give people that 
extra support and say, hey, this is needed because there's a lot of us out there. And are you happy? Everything going okay now? You know, I'm in the middle of it, my last semester, and it's a little it's a little tricky right now, but um, I'm, I'm hanging in there. All right. Well, cool. quit goofing off. Get back and uh, start cracking the books again. <laughs> Sue, you know, your story is one of the most unusual we've ever heard on this program, and the way that you're dealing with it really, really grabs us because it truly is an inspiration. The book is called I Forgot to Remember. Sue Mech, you are the best. Thanks for all the courage it takes to share your story with the rest of us and uh, move onward and upward, my friend. Thanks so much. Up next, let's Lido shuffle down memory lane and find out what the great Boz Skaggs is up to today. This is Growing Bolder. Support for Growing Bolder provided by Advent Health, introducing the Feel Whole Challenge, a 21-day program offering big improvements through small steps, like a daily walk, making smoothies, changes that encourage whole person health. More information at feelwholechallenge.com. Subscribe to Growing Boulder Magazine, now with more information, articles, and photos than ever before. This quarterly publication is unlike any other, filled with the kind of inspiration you need to live your life to the fullest. More information at growingbolder.com slash subscribe. This is Growing Bolder. I'm Bill Schaefer with Mark Middleton grooving to a great song from one of the most enjoyable, musically tight albums ever. Know what it is, Mark? Silk Degrees. You know, four hits spun off that record. You probably know them all. It's over, low down, what can I say? And the one we just heard, the Lido Shuffle. How many of you out there can name the artist? I can hear everybody shouting it out right now, Bill, because he really is one of the greats, folks, a true musician's musician. This is a guy whose career began back in the 60s and is still going strong today. He's someone whose many experiences have led to a great deal of uh, wisdom, not just about music, but maybe more importantly about life itself. We're very pleased to say hello. Hello to the great Boz Skaggs. Hey, Boz, how are you? Yeah, hi, Bill. Hi, Mark. I'm, I'm fine, thanks. Well, you certainly are busy. We, we, we can tell that. I mean, all it takes is a quick look at your schedule. Uh, and, and really, you're touring like a teenager. What's it like out there on the road these days? Who shows up to see you? Well, it's a pretty mixed bag, you know. Uh, we tour pretty much year-round. I mean, not constantly, but all seasons and, of course, in the summer. We get a lot of uh, people coming out to you know, the outdoor uh, venues, the festivals, and, uh, and then other times of the year, it's more of the performing arts centers. And, um, of course, the, 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 the age and the uh, style of uh, music varies, but uh, we, uh, we, we sort of change up according to what the, what the venue is. And uh, this, this young generation of 20s and 30s is uh, uh, is very hip, I must say. I mean, a lot of the music that came from the 60s and the 70s is their kind of uh, music. And so they're curious to come out and see, um, you know, people like myself who, who, who've been around through those generations. And so there's the young and, and the old and, and the in-between. There are new audiences and, of course, audiences that want to hear you know, hits stuff from Soul Degrees and Loan Me a Dime and and some of the, the the songs that people really kind of recognize for me. And, and Boz, not not only that, but the I think there was a last album you put out called Memphis. I mean, what an interesting record. You you play newer things as well as the hits. Yeah, uh, this last the album that you mentioned, Memphis, came out about a year ago, and uh, it is it kind of. Fits very well into my uh, my other repertoire. It mixes in well with the, my bluesy and R and B past, as well as uh, the Silk Degrees kind of more pop stuff. And uh, I, I actually play quite a bit of music from 
from this album, Memphis. And I got to tell you, too, Boz, it's got to be one of your most interesting albums ever. Let's listen to one of our favorite tracks from the album. Here's a little bit of Boz Eggs with the song Dry Spell. Man, that is awesome. It's got a hook for days, a groove. You can shred, man. Yeah, that was Kevin Morrow playing uh, the uh, slide guitar. And are you having, Boz, are you having as much fun, maybe even a little more fun, than you had when you were cranking out Silk Degrees? Well, it's certainly a different era for me. I was running out on uh, different uh, fumes those days. Um, and uh, I must say, you know, that was a pretty, uh, that was a pretty fast-moving time. And uh, I would, uh, I would say that I'm having uh, more fun now. I'm enjoying what I do now. I'm at, the pace is uh, is better for me. I'm probably working more uh, in terms of uh, concerts and appearances now than I was then. Um, but I just feel like um, that my the things that I do, my voice and and my guitar playing, is better, and, and I, I'm more in touch with that aspect of of stuff rather than the you know the the fame bit uh, nowadays. And um, I'm 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 sort of more comfortable with my music and and the way I'm approaching it now than than before. So yeah. It, that makes for fun when you know when everything is clicking and uh, I, I, I certainly enjoyed my my time and the experiences I had in the seventies. But uh, I've always said uh, life uh, tends to get uh, better and better. I, I think a lot of people agree with me. Uh, I'm happier now and uh, I'm having a great time. That is great to hear, folks. We're chatting with uh, the great Boz Skaggs and, and Boz. Speaking of different fumes, if you will. Let's go back even before the 70s because everybody talks about it. You were actually there. San Francisco, the summer of love, 1967. Sex, drugs, rock and roll exploding. Uh, What was it like to be in that scene as opposed to looking at it in the rearview mirror 40 or 50 years ago? Is it what what we perceive it to be? Well, I had a little different perspective than most of the people who were really present for that for that time in fact i came to san francisco in september of 1977 which was just after the so-called summer of love i had been living in europe for about three years and um uh all of that sort of uh that change that was taking place uh, you know among youth cultures at that time was taking place all over the world uh, I was living in Europe and, and in Sweden in particular at that time. I'd just come back from India for about six months. And and that movement was happening, as I say, everywhere, but it took a very different form uh, in, in Europe where I was. And uh, when I came back, uh, in, came back to San Francisco in September of 77, all that was going on, and it was probably the most remarkable collection and confluence of, of music uh, that ever happened anywhere uh, in the world. Uh, all forms of music were happening almost nightly in San Francisco at the various ballrooms and everyone from Ravi Shankar to Miles Davis to uh, the major British acts were, were coming in and and the big American stars were there and uh, it was a remarkable scene musically, uh, as far as the sex, drugs, and rock and roll. The rock and roll was intact. The sex and drugs were pretty were becoming pretty much the the drugs were passe. The sex was, uh, you know, uh, still here, folks. Um, it was a it was a kind of an explosive time 
and uh, remarkable for, for our generation, I guess. And you know what's interesting, Boz, is you're really an interesting combination of a lot of different influences. And, and, and even since then, is between then and now, you've had the highest of the highs, you've had the lowest of the lows, which we can talk about at another time. But you've come out, you know, re- really together, and, and you've done a lot of great work along with your music as well, making a difference. And I just want to let folks know that if you're looking for great music to fill your life, check out some of his back catalog, but give the new stuff a chance too. Check out Memphis from Boz Skaggs. More information at bozskaggs.com. Thanks for the time, Boz. I've got dust on my shoes Need my cranky string I've got dust on my shoes Been a mean dry spell, but I think it's gonna rain. Well, that's it for now, but remember, Growing Boulder does not stop here. In fact, it's just the beginning. You'll find hundreds more interviews just like the ones you've heard today with TV stars, movie stars, rock stars, sports stars, authors, business leaders, medical experts, wellness experts, financial experts, <laughs> travel experts, and if I had more breath, I'd tell you even more regular people who have found their way to living exciting lives. All of them, Mark, can be found at growingbolder.com. Amen, Bill. You'll also find information there on where you can watch Growing Boulder television and how to subscribe to Growing Boulder magazine, which is available free of charge at most Central Florida Walgreens stores. Now remember, at Growing Boulder, we're basically offering three products for you. And here they are, hope, inspiration, and possibility. And folks, we hope you're buying because you should be. Tell some friends about the most unique media company anywhere, and then ask yourself, are you Growing Boulder? We'll see you next time. Growing Boulder is a production of Boulder Broadcasting. All rights reserved. This program was recorded live at Growing Boulder's studios in Orlando and is available as a weekly podcast on NPR One, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play Music, Stitcher, and TuneIn. It is written and produced by Jill Middleton, Mark Middleton, and Bill Schaefer. Executive producers are Jackie Carlin, Robert Thompson, and Emily Thompson. Technical director is Jason Morrow. Production manager is Michael Nannis. Director of technology is Joshua Doolittle. Chief audio engineer is Mac Dula. And our most important team member is you. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram to keep growing bolder every day.